Welcome to the Together in the UK podcast. Today, I'm really excited to tell you that we're going to be interviewing Richard Williams, who has a fascinating career, which includes working as a director for migration work, and he's very active in the City of Sanctuary movement. And we are going to find out more about this tonight. Richard, to start, can you tell me, please, a little bit about your background and how you became interested in the working in the field of migration, particularly with asylum seekers and refugees? Thanks for having me on. It was back in the early 90s that I was working at Sky News on the foreign desk, and it was the time of the Bosnian War. And I was starting to put together the images that we were bringing in of refugees and people fleeing that conflict in Bosnia with the people arriving in the UK. And then sort of little incidents like taking a minicab in West London and chatting to the driver, as you do, and finding out that he was from Somalia, but that he was a qualified doctor. And also at the time, they were crying out for doctors in the NHS and things don't change very much. And he was unable to get medical work, so he was working as a minicab driver. And I just thought this was ridiculous and terrible injustice as well. So I was sort of gradually becoming uh, interested in the issues. And I met the press officer for the Refugee Council, Anne, and started volunteering there. So it was a rather classic way of getting into the voluntary sector. I I, I started as a volunteer and then had a a year in the first intake of the School for Social Entrepreneurs. And I kind of pushed to have my on-the-job practical in the Refugee Council. So I spent a year in the Refugee Council in the Chief, Chief Executive's Office, learning all about what it was to work with refugees. It could be something much deeper than that that's drawn me to work with refugees. One of the first things that uh, I did when I was at the Refugee Council was attend a conference at the Tavistock Clinic, which you may have heard of. A psychiatrist there was giving a lecture and um, she said, of course, the reason we are all here is that we are all refugees from the womb. That's, that is really clever and interesting insight. It's a sort of policy interest, it's a political interest, and potentially there's an element of psychodynamics in there. Who knows? I'm really interested to explore with you today the Cities of Sanctuary. Could we start right at the beginning by you telling us what Cities of Sanctuary are and also a bit about your role within this movement? The City of Sanctuary movement started 11 or 12 years ago in Sheffield, and it's really based on a a simple idea of wanting to create a more welcoming society, Uh, initially really for people who are fleeing and seeking sanctuary. And we we tend to use that word sanctuary seeker rather than refugee or migrant or asylum seeker, because all those terms tend to have a very specific um, legal meanings, but also sometimes uh, other connotations, negative connotations in the public debate. Whereas sanctuary is it's got a really deep root uh, and long history to it, and it goes back to medieval times of church sanctuary, where whatever you've done, whatever crime you committed, if you made your way into a church, you were there safe and no one could um, touch you. So we like the term sanctuary, and it really is about making the UK a more welcoming place. Within the refugee and migrant charity sector, there's a lot of a lot of work that goes on trying to work on communications and analyse what how people are influenced and the sort of and what the papers are saying and what they're seeing in the media and and how that might be affecting them. Um, well, we in the City of Sanctuary movement feel is underestimated is that people's minds are are changed and 
not so much by what they see on television or read in the, in the paper, but by the people they meet and the people who, who they interact with. And that's called the social contact theory. And so the City of Sanctuary movement is founded on this social contact theory that we can contribute to building a movement that will create a more welcoming society by inspiring people at the really sort of grassroots level. And so we've got about 120 groups across the country trying to make uh, their cities or or locations places of sanctuary. And they're doing it at at a very local level by often working with different institutions like schools and trying to make them more welcoming places. Universities, there are uni- there's a whole network now of universities of sanctuary, uh, theatres of sanctuary, there are even midwives of sanctuary. So kind of whatever uh, institution or area of work that you're, you're in, there's a chances are there's what we call a stream of sanctuary that's trying to make it just a more slightly more welcoming place particularly for refugees, for seekers of sanctuary. But effectively, when you make yourself a place of welcome for seekers of sanctuary, you'll make yourself welcome to everyone. We've really sort of shifted a bit to being to welcoming all. And uh, that's what we do in the, in the groups. I run one of the groups. I'm a chair of a group in my hometown of Brighton. I've also recently joined the, the National Board as a trustee. Congratulations on getting onto the board. In terms of the social contact theory... I had a very profound moment at an event that Together in the UK run when a family who had come here as Vietnamese refugees 40 years ago, one of the brothers got up and he said, I can now say without hesitation and with confidence, there's nothing wrong with being a refugee, which made me realise you know, how people experience stigma and actually that it could happen to all of us. Could you tell me one of the most original initiatives you've seen? In, in the City of Sanctuary movement? Well, I'm, I'm proud that in Brighton we had the first club of Sanctuary, which is a table tennis club, the first youth club of Sanctuary, which is a, the Hummingbird project that we helped establish their global social club for young asylum seekers and other young people. And we have one of the first libraries of Sanctuary, all of which do uh, amazing and innovative things. The Brighton Table Tennis Club, where uh, Tim, who runs that club, doesn't like talking about integration of asylum seekers and being involved in that, although he does amazing work that does help to welcome asylum seekers. He talks about being a place of integration for the whole community, and he works with all sorts of different groups and takes table tennis tables into the local prison, for example, and works with prisoners. But they, they developed a programme called Pinglish, for young asylum seekers who were struggling at the age of 14 or 15 in schools and said, come to the, to the table tennis club, play table tennis. Anyone can play table tennis uh, at some kind of level. And whilst you're playing table tennis, we will teach you English. And they'd literally do it as they're playing. So they'll hit the ball and as they hit the ball, they'll say, let's do, go through the colours. You know, so red, hit, green, hit, blue, hit. And they developed another programme called Ping Maths, which is kind of what it says on the tin. And what's rather wonderful about the work they've done with young asylum seekers, unaccompanied young people, is that those young people, you know, they were struggling in schools where other kids were doing GCSEs and, you know, they'd recently arrived from abroad, their English was limited, came to the table tennis as asylum seekers who may have, you were talking about stigma, they then go to the table tennis club, learn English, learn to play table tennis and get qualifications as table tennis coaches and go back to those schools that they came from not as asylum seekers, not as struggling students, but as coaches. And so they have a whole new identity, and that's a very powerful thing. That sounds fantastic. And they're having fun. And they're having fun, yeah, absolutely. 
If anyone wants to join the City of Sanctuary movement, what should they do? Google City of Sanctuary, go to our website, see if you've got a local group there. Uh, And as I said, there are 120 groups across the country. They're not all cities. Uh, There is a village of sanctuary in East Sussex called East Hoathly. There are towns of sanctuary. Look, see if you've got a local group and join the group. Even if there isn't a local group, Think about you know what what institution or what organisation you're involved in. Perhaps get your school or your children's school to consider going for a school of sanctuary award, and then contact the national city of sanctuary organisation directly, and be put in touch with the person who runs the school stream. That we have three or four regional coordinators who can help you. Perhaps set up your own city of sanctuary group. Brilliant. Thank you. I now want to turn to your work at Migration Work, where you're a director. Could you tell us first, what does it do? Again, it's quite a simple idea, is that we're we're all consultants. It was a group of consultants who've all worked in the refugee and migrant sort of charity sector and with local authorities for many years, most of us. My predecessors thought they would set up an organisation which would help practitioners, local authorities, charities make migration work for everyone, so for migrants and for the wider community. At the moment, most much of our work is facilitating the exchange of learning between different European cities uh, and trying to work out what works and in one city, in one country, and whether that can be transferred to another country. Unfortunately, that work relies very much on people from one city visiting people from another city. And those city visits are not obviously not happening at the moment because of COVID. But, you know, we believe there's an awful lot that can be learned, not necessarily by visiting projects, although that's what we do on these visits. It's often the conversations that go on when you're walking between places or on on the way to the place where you're going to eat in the evening or... you know, just walking around town and chatting to the people who are hosting you, that's where we find learning can happen. And it's a really powerful thing. Yes, yes. The learning in the in the in-between bits where you get the big insights. Yes, exactly. So have you learned that there is quite a difference in how cities across Europe work in this field? Well, I mean, yes. And I've also worked in in Brussels. After I worked at the Refugee Council, I worked in Brussels for the European Council on Refugees and Exiles, sort of an umbrella organisation. And so became very familiar with the the great cultural uh, differences between different European countries, which can be pretty deep. So, for example, um, you know, here in the UK, we talk about different BAME, you know, migrant black and ethnic minority communities, refugee communities, migrant communities. The government will conduct surveys and censuses and count people and and work out how well they're doing, perhaps compared to other communities. In France, that doesn't happen because everyone knows that the great slogan of the the French, which is liberté, égalité, fraternité. And égalité means that all citizens are equal. And you can't divide them up by ethnicity. You can't look for those divisions in society and you can't measure it. And therefore, it's quite difficult to make improvements. And at the moment, I'm working on a project with four cities, looking at young people, young migrants and volunteering. It's really interesting the different approaches that the four cities take, Bristol, Nuremberg, Turin, Toulouse. And we're halfway through the project and already there's been a lot of learning. Are you able to share with us sort of a couple of examples of what you found really works? 
good insights are, are really simple. This project was about role of volunteering. And we went to Nuremberg and we found that they, they really celebrate their volunteers, not just migrant volunteers, but all volunteers. The city gives a prize, a monthly prize for the best two volunteers, I think. And then they have annual prizes of a thousand euros for the best young volunteers, for the best volunteers. And Bristol thought, well, that looks, we, we hadn't thought of that. They've got a lot of volunteering, but we don't really big up the volunteers as much as we could do. So they, for the first time, had a, um, a big event just before lockdown when, um, when they were celebrating their volunteers. But I think on the migrant-specific uh, thing, really that what comes out, what works is when cities are working or local authorities are working with migrants is when they stop seeing migrants as people to whom they need to deliver services or people with problems that they need to fix, but see them as people with talents and skills, people who are assets to the community. And that really transforms how you work with refugees and migrants, seekers of sanctuary. The other cities, the European cities, will will love going to a Bristol project, an infant school in Bristol, where they had a thing called the Shared Ground Project, which had a what they called a community learning approach, which was based on this idea that migrant parents are assets with skills to contribute. And they trained up the migrant parents, many of whom were also ref- were refugees to deliver training in schools about how to work with children from that particular community. And one of those groups of parents have set themselves up now with support from the city as a social enterprise. So that's really drawing on the skills and talents of the migrants and refugees and supporting them to be able to contribute in in the way that they want to to the community. The other thing we've found, and and I've been involved with migration, working with European cities for many years, the thing that really matters is about leadership in cities. If you've got a mayor or people at the top who really get it about refugees and migrants, when they talk about them as assets, when they're proud of being welcoming places, that's when things work. And it usually needs a political leader, but it also needs someone high up in the council, in in the offices, a senior officer who has the courage to take ideas forward. And do you think we are nationally moving towards that when we've seen how vital migrants are to how the state runs with the NHS and other services? Uh, I'd like to think so. I think um, the COVID has, that does have a silver lining to it in that it has exposed the the horrors, the terrible inequalities, particularly based on race in uh, British society, but also highlighted many of the key workers that we've been applauding and praising are in fact migrants, often on very low pay. And that has revealed that the conservative policy of when they talk about highly skilled and and wanting to bring in the brightest and the best, they're talking about people above a certain pay grade. It's exposed that the the, the flaws in that kind of policy. But I think it's whether it's a a wider recognition of the value of migrants to the UK, I don't know. My final question was going to be, if you share one insight with us on what really helps people create their new life, I think you've given me the answer there, which is it's actually to do with leadership and to do with mindset. Is there anything else that you'd add? Well, it was, as I said, it's being, I think it's just being treated as human beings and human beings with skills, knowledge and potential. 
But also, having said that, I was very struck by the writer Dina Nayeri, who wrote an article and then a book called The Ungrateful Refugee. And she, she speaks very forcefully about how we kind of expect or want refugees to be super people, great people, people who make this enormous contribution or, or better than everyone else and people who are grateful to be here. And she says refugees don't have to be grateful and we're just ordinary people. Some are better than others, some are more skilled than others, uh, but we've got a right to be here because of the international law, which says that refugees have a right not to be sent to somewhere where they're going to face persecution. Yes, absolutely. So if anyone listening to this would like to find out more or support your project, what should they do? Well, the Cities of Sanctuary Network uh, has a a website, so look up at City of Sanctuary, and I said find out your local group. Migration work, we also have a website, and we'd love to hear from people, particularly people who are interested in supporting our work as independent consultants and so on. We would love, and like any small charity, Sanctuary on Sea, the the Brighton City of Sanctuary group could always use support. And you can find us on the web, on the City of Sanctuary national website, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Just look for Sanctuary on Sea. And to find out more about Together in the UK, go to our website, togetherintheuk, or one word, .co.uk. Thank you very much, Richard, for sharing your insights with us today. I'd love you to talk to you, Teresa.